Revelation. We'll pick up where we left off last time. Now, just as a, a little reminder of, of the ground that we've covered, and this is, this is pertinent for where we're going, we, uh, we, we had taken a little breather from our study of the book of Revelation and where we found ourselves in recent weeks as we were looking at the judgment seat of Christ and what we were asking God to do is to help us to be able to get an eternal perspective of our lives. What we're anticipating is that in the very, very near future, those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're anticipating Him coming in the clouds, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're anticipating Him removing us off of the face of this earth to come into His presence where while the tribulation period is being meted out on this earth, we are going to stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. And in that day, what is going to take place is God is going to take each of our lives individually and put them on rewind, and we're going to watch our entire life go by, but this time we're going to see it not from the vantage point of a human being. We're going to see it from His vantage point. And what we, that whole series was all about is us coming to the place to where we're living our lives right now through the eyes of eternity, through the eyes that we'll be viewing our life at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, where we picked up last week in the book of Revelation is when we have moved into a dimension to where time is no more. We have moved into eternity, into what some call the eternal state. Now, what we're trying to do through all of this is continue that whole theme of being able to look at our lives right now and see them through the eyes of eternity because, listen, if we're living our life now through those eyes, there's all kind of changes that will be being made in us right now and that's the way that God wants us to be living. Now, in Revelation 21... Let's understand, the rapture has already taken place. The tribulation, the seven-year period of trouble on this earth, has already unfolded. The Lord Jesus Christ has already returned to this earth with the armies of heaven following behind, which are those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ. He has already carried out His millennial reign, that thousand-year period where He will rule and reign from His throne in Jerusalem on this earth. There's already been that final rebellion of, of Satan and of man at the end of the millennium. And now we have moved into that eternal state in Revelation chapter 21. Now, now listen, guys. The reason that God put this chapter in the Bible is because He wanted us to be able to understand where it would be that we would spend, listen, eternity with Him. He wanted to, to spell it all out for us. He, he wanted to give us a glimpse of that so that we might understand and so that we might begin to have inside of us an anticipation and, and an excitement and a longing to go to that place where we will spend eternity with Him. You know, most of the people that are in this room, you have, at some point in the last decade or so, you, you went to foreign soil on a missions trip through this church. And you remember the, the first time, those of you that, that, that have been able to, to do this, you remember the first time that you went? Man, you, you got a travel guide, you went on the internet or some kind of a deal, you started reading about that country. Some of you have gone to China or Thailand, Australia, the Philippines, whatever place, it was, Mexico. You know what we, we did? In anticipation for that trip, what we were all doing is we were reading up on it, finding out about this, this place. And we're looking at pictures of, of this place. And, and as we're beginning to, to read about these things and see this place, there was this growing excitement that was building inside of us to go there. And I believe that's exactly why God revealed to John what He revealed to him in Revelation 21 and 22, so that we might understand this incredible place where we will spend not just a lifetime, not just a thousand years, but for all of eternity 
Incredible, incredible thing. And you know what? It, we're going to do something this morning that we don't normally do with a long passage like this. We're going to read together 23 verses. Now, I want you to try to hang with me on this thing. That's a, that's a long time for, for us folks living in the time that we're living in to, to read a passage together. But I want to ask you to work with me because I want you to begin to get the pieces of all of this before we begin to, to look into it so that you can begin to envision this place that John w- was seeing. Now, now listen, if John were here right now, and he could just give us a little preface before we go read what he wrote. He would, he would probably say something like, Now, you know, guys, I do understand before you read this that there is no way that I could take human language and put it in a fashion to where you could comprehend it. And even if I could, you with your finite mind would not be able to understand what I had written. You know, it, it's kind of like missionaries that go into the remote parts of the world and they're you know dealing with a a tribal group of people that have never even understood that there is a world out there that's different than theirs and they're in g-strings and the coldest thing that they know is you know the stream you know that's you know just outside of the village there and all of that and and so the missionary as he's won them to christ he begins to talk about the world that's out there and he begins to try to describe to this 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 inhabitant of this village Something like his deep freeze back home. We, yeah, we have this box that the inside of it is so cold. You know, and, and how do you, with someone who's never felt that kind of, how do you describe that in human language? You, you know, you're just, they ain't going to get it. Understand, what we're going to read, we ain't going to get it. But boy, if we could just let the Spirit of God this morning show us all that we can get with these finite minds, I do believe it would begin to build a, an excitement and a longing to go to that place. And you know what? Those of us living in Laodicea, the last days of the church age, we do need a good dose of this because few people are longing to spend eternity with Christ. We're just pretty doggone happy right here. And kind of sometimes view the return of Christ as it's going to mess things up, man. We've got it going on. And, and boy, we need, to, we need to let the Spirit of God give us a switch this morning. So let's, let's pick up where John says in Revelation 21, in verse 9. <clears throat> and there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall, great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he, he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof, And the city lieth forth square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And and just a a little aside, we'll talk about this probably more next week. Just to give you an idea of the size of this thing. That furlong thing, if you do the math, He's talking about a city that is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. We're talking about an an, an enormous thing that he has seen that is descending out of heaven from God. Verse 17, And he measured the wall thereof, and hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. 
The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth chrysoprasis, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, neither to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And, O Lord, as we have read your word, we realize that this is a supernatural book that must be revealed to us as we compare things spiritual with things spiritual. We're humbling ourselves before you today as your servants and asking you that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. We pray that you would reveal your truth to us and show us ourselves pray that you would show us yourself and that our lives would be changed in this service today. In Jesus' name, amen. So John sees here this new Jerusalem, and and look at the end of verse 10. He says that he, he sees this thing descending out of heaven from God. And if I could just ask you to look back in verse 2 of this same chapter. Revelation 21, verse 2, John says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And and let me just remind you that the night before the Lord Jesus was crucified, in John chapter 13, what it says is he, he pulled those guys together and he pulled them together into an upper room. And the purpose for his conversation with them, what it says, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, is that he wanted to love them. He loved them to the end. And here he is in an intimate love relationship with these men, sharing his love and talking about the events that are about to unfold. And in John chapter 14, a very familiar passage, he, he says to these men, John 14 and verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Listen, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now what you need to understand about this verse is when he is talking about the Father's house, he is making reference to the city, the New Jerusalem, that we were just reading about in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And Jesus said, He went to prepare this place. And when this place is revealed in Revelation 21 and verse 2 that we just looked at, John said that it was prepared as a bride adorned For her husband, and when John describes it, look again in verse 9, he describes it as this this place that Jesus went to prepare, as this great city, the holy Jerusalem, he describes it as the bride, the lamb's wife. 
Okay, now just freeze frame that. Just, just hold on that. The new Jerusalem is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It is the bride. It is the lamb's wife. Okay, and we hit on this briefly last week. Those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, we have been espoused to Him in our relationship with Him. We've been espoused to Him as our one, say it, our one husband, and he views this, this thing of our relationship with him as he is our husband, that we are engaged to him in, in marriage. We're in that espousal or that engagement period right now. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 22, he begins talking to wives. And he lays out instruction for wives. He goes on in verse 25 to give instruction to husbands. And the whole passage is all about Wives and husbands, wives and husbands. He comes to verse 32 of the passage after talking about wives and husbands through the whole thing. And he says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the, the church. And what we see is that all the way through the New Testament, the church is revealed as the bride, the Lamb's wife. And it's not the New Jerusalem. It's the church. And and what I'm wanting you to to, to see here is our Lord went to go prepare a place that is being prepared as a bride. And the Lord has left all of us here that are engaged to Him right now. He's left us here to prepare ourselves for our marriage to Him. And the point that, if you'll get this, you'll understand everywhere we're we're going this morning. At the top of your study sheet, there's a little statement I want to make sure that you get. The place our Lord went to prepare for us, the New Jerusalem, is an exact replica of everything He's called us to be as we prepare ourselves for Him. Which one is the bride, the Lamb's wife? Yes. It is the New Jerusalem which is an exact replica of everything that he has called us to be. And if that's confusing to you at all, let let me just maybe remind you of this. Do you remember in the Old Testament? Do you remember how God laid out the tabernacle and the the temple? He, He laid out, listen now, he laid out that very real and literal place to illustrate the character of God. That tabernacle. You know what it is doing? It is showing you God. It's showing you how we relate to God. A place that is like a person. And God is doing the same thing here with the New Jerusalem. It's a very literal, real place that is being prepared right now and will descend out of heaven at the end of the millennium And it's where the bride of Christ, which looks just like it, is going to spend all of eternity. And that's why the title of the message today is a double exposure of the picture of the bride. Because what we're going to see this morning, as we go through the description of the the new Jerusalem, the bride, the, the lamb's wife, we're going to see the likeness to the bride, the the church of Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, John shows us the glory and light of the New Jerusalem. He shows us the glory and light of the New Jerusalem. Now, now we saw in, in verses 9 and 10 that the, the angel carries him away in the, the spirit to this great and high mountain to where he's got just a bird's eye view of this incredible thing that is descending out of heaven from God. And the first thing that John describes, as he, I mean, above everything else, I mean, he's going to begin to write about what he sees, and, and here it is. The first thing he begins to write about is the glory and the light of that thing. He says in verse 11, look at it. Having the glory of God... This place, this holy city, the New Jerusalem, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even a jasper stone, clear as crystal. 
as John begins to see this thing coming down, the most captivating feature of this incredible place was its glory. The first words out of his mouth to describe it, John said, it's, it had the glory of God. And if you want to know why it did, would you look across the page to Revelation 22 and verse 3? He lets us know, watch this now, that the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Listen now. This place is the habitation of God the Father and the Lamb enthroned in all of their glory. All of the sum total of the attributes of God are absolutely radiating in this incredible place that John was seeing. Now, as we've seen over and over in our study of the Word of God, every time that God shows up in the Bible, in the fullness of His glory, where His attributes are just totally on display, He is there in His manifest presence, He always shows up the same way. As blazing, blinding, what? Light. You see, that's why verse 23 of chapter 21 says, look at it, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. Why? You see it? For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof, because you know who the Lamb is? The Lamb is the glory of God. John 1.14 says, We beheld His glory. Whose? He who was made flesh, the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The same thing about the no need of the Son is repeated in chapter 22. Look at verse 5. It says, And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the Son. Why? For the Lord God giveth them light. Now, let me just make sure here, as we're looking at this, that we don't make the Word of God say something that it doesn't say. Okay, I want you to notice that it does not say that there will no longer be a sun or a moon. That's not what it says. And you see, it's real important that it doesn't say that. Because, you know what, if it did say that, you could can that book because it wouldn't be the Word of God. Because Psalm 89 Verses 36 and 37 tell you something real significant about the sun and the moon that all of the scientists and uh, astrologists and astronomers and whoever else, they're telling you it's all winding down and all that, and they've just forgotten who's in control of the whole thing. But what he tells us in Psalm 89, verses 36 and 37, is that that sun and moon shall endure how long? Forever. And what the Bible means about forever there is forever. Forever and ever what the passage says here in verse 23 of chapter 21 and verse 5 of, of, of chapter 22 is that there will be no need for their what no need for their light and, and Isaiah helps us to to understand this Isaiah prophesied about this this same thing that John has seen in Isaiah chapter 60 Verses 19 and 20. Watch this. He says, The sun shall be no more thy light by day. Okay, he's not saying that the sun won't be there. But it won't be our light. Watch this. Neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, let's say that I go to Walmart and I pick up a, you know, a buck ninety-nine flashlight and I come out of Walmart, you know, at one o'clock this afternoon in the big fat middle of the day and I'm trying to make my way to the car with this flashlight. You know what? I can put that on the ground and that light ain't doing jack squat to lighten anything. Why? Because there is such a bright light in the sky. That thing isn't jack squat and that's what that's what isaiah is talking about he just doesn't say jack squat okay he says neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee but the lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light and thy god thy here it is <clears throat> glory the sun shall no more go down neither shall thy moon withdraw itself for the lord shall be thine everlasting light and watch this 
and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. And remember what we saw last, last week? There'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. The days of mourning have been ended. And as John sees this, this city, this new Jerusalem, absolutely radiating the glory of God, what I want you to notice here about this light that he talks about in verse 11. L- look at it. He says, And her light was like unto a stone most precious. The most precious stone you've, you've ever seen. Like He says, e- even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And again, now this is this is one of those one of those things there that I mean it's 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 like we're those village people trying to comprehend something from you know the United States of America you know and try to explain a car to them you know John is describing something here that is so hard for us to get in our mind but he he says listen the light of this this city now it had the glory of God in it and that throne was was there. But the light of that city was like the most incredible jasper stone you could ever imagine. And he says something pretty monumental to help us to understand this jasper stone. He says, clear as crystal. Now, now something you need to understand about when, when John was, was writing the book of Revelation. At that period of time, what was called a, a jasper stone is very unlike what we would know today as a jasper stone, because any of you that know anything about jasper know that it is not clear as crystal. It is an opaque stone. But you see, in in John's day, through the centuries, what has happened is we've just called something different a jasper stone than what was called a jasper stone when John was receiving the revelation. But this clear as crystal, does it sound like anything that you have heard of? What John is seeing, and what was called a jasper stone at this period of time, was what we would refer to today as a diamond. And here he is seeing this 1,500 mile by 1,500 mile by 1,500 mile high diamond. You, you, you ladies think you killed a big one when you got a, a, a carrot, you know, there. Can, can you imagine, you know, Sporting around a 1,500 mile by 1,500 mile by 1,500 mile diamond on that thing. You'd be somebody, you know. That's, that's what he's seeing. But now, one of the things that we know of a jasper stone or one of the things that we know of, of a diamond is it has no light of its own. Right? All it does is reflect and refract and radiate the light from another source. You see, that's all some of you are going to need right now to be able to understand everything that's beginning to go on in this passage. Because, you see, here's the way that this thing comes down. See, you and I have been made members of this thing that is called the church. I'm not talking about the First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ. Okay, of which this is a local representation, certainly. But, but here's the deal. We were, we were in darkness. We were sinful, spiritually dead, incapable of bringing glory to anything other than ourselves, much less God. But now listen, something happened to us the moment we received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Something monumental Something that had never, ever happened in all of the ages previous. This had never happened before. God took up residence inside of the people in the church of Jesus Christ. You know what happened when you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? You received the glory of God. You and I are just like the New Jerusalem, guys. We have the glory of God inside of us. And again, that's something that was not true of any of the people in the ages gone by. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, what Paul says about this whole thing that I'm talking about, about 
having the glory of God in us. He says that it was a, a mystery, a mystery as you read that in the New Testament. It's something that was hidden in the Old Testament that has now been revealed in the New. Here were all these people, and that truth was, it was true way back then. It was going to be true in the future. But here are these people in the Old Testament, clueless of it. It was a mystery. It was hidden from their view. And, and Paul is talking about this mystery. What mystery? He says, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and generations, but is now made manifest to His saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is it? It's Christ in you, the hope of what? Glory. Listen, just like the New Jerusalem. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, you have the glory of God in you because, listen, the way that you came into a relationship with God is you came to Him and you submitted yourself to His Lordship. The throne of God and of the Lamb, just like the New Jerusalem, the throne of God and of the Lamb is in us. We've submitted ourselves to His Lordship and He sits for those of us that know Him, He sits enthroned inside of us. And His purpose for us as a church, as we prepare ourselves for Him, is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Listen, he says that we were predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Why? That we should be to the praise of of His glory. And as our Lord sits on the throne of our lives in all of, our, all of His glory, all of a sudden, what Peter talked about in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 becomes a reality in our life. We as this chosen generation, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this Peculiar people, different than any of the people in all of the ages and all of the generations prior to it. What begins to happen is the glory of God sits enthroned in our lives. Look at what Peter says. We show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His, listen now, into His marvelous light. What begins to happen to those of us that live lives surrendered to the Lordship of Christ where He sits enthroned in all of His glory in our hearts is we begin to shine. We begin to reflect His light. We begin to radiate His light. We begin to refract His light. And just like a diamond has no light of its own, we have no light of our own. This is not our light. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15 says that we shine, how? As lights. We're not the lights. In the same way that a diamond, man, you can get that thing in the darkness, it has no light. It's got to have light from an outside source. And when the light from an outside source, the glory of God sits enthroned in our lives, what happens to us, just like the New Jerusalem, is we begin to radiate light in the midst of what Peter or Paul said in Philippians 2 and verse 15, in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation, in the midst of the darkness of this world, we begin to, to shine and radiate the light of the glory of God. And listen, guys, that's what God wants while we're preparing ourselves for Him. Listen, He's preparing a place for you. It has no light of its own, but it has the glory of God in it, and it reflects and radiates and refracts that light. And he says, now listen, I'm preparing that for you. Now as you're preparing for me and for the marriage, what I want you to do, let me sit enthroned in you. You have the glory of God in you. Now let me sit enthroned in all of my glory there, in the fullness of all of my attributes, so that from you can shine light in the midst of the darkness of this world. And let me just ask you, those of you that have been around the block in the Bible, does this sound like anything that you've ever heard before? Like maybe 
on the other side of eternity where there was this being who had no light of his own but reflected and refracted and radiated the light of the glory of God. His name was Lucifer, which means light bearer. A beautiful, beautiful being that God created to radiate His glory in the midst of the universe. And when it's all said and done, here is the city, the bride, the Lamb's wife, radiating the light of the glory of God. And right now, we fulfill the eternal purpose of God, guys. By in this city that we call a human body, allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign in us, and we shed forth His marvelous light into the midst of the darkness of this world. You know why Satan hates you so bad? Because when you allow the glory of God to be enthroned in you, you shed forth the same light out of you that He used to shed forth in glory to God, and He hates that. And He's going to do everything within His power to keep Jesus Christ from having every aspect of your life, every part of your being to where he, he, what He wants to do is He wants to find some way to defile you. Would you, would you look at verse 27 of, of, of Revelation 21? It says about the new Jerusalem, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. You see, if any of those things could come into that holy city, it would cease to be holy. And the glory of God would be diminished. The light of God would be distorted. And He won't let any of that come into that city that He's preparing for us. And He's saying, listen, don't let anything defile you. Don't let anything that is going to distort the light, don't let anything diminish the glory of God in you. I'm asking you today. Is there anything right now that the Spirit of God is bringing to your attention that is causing the Lord Jesus Christ to not be enthroned in all of His glory in your life? Is there anything that is diminishing that light that He has called us to shine forth as we're preparing ourselves for Him? And guys... If there is, what the book of Revelation is preaching to us is, don't allow yourself as the bride to be defiled because in the place that He's preparing for you, He won't let anything defile that. It has the glory of God in it. And it reflects the light of God. And He says, as you're preparing for the wedding, make sure that that's the way that you come full of glory, and full of light. Okay, so the first thing that John sees about the New Jerusalem is that it has the glory and light of God. Let's look next, Roman numeral 2. At the walls and gates of the New Jerusalem. The walls and gates. Now, he, he describes in verse 11, as we just saw, the, the glory and, and light of this incredible city. And, and then in verse 12, he says that it also had, look at it, a great or, or a wall, great and high, and had 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates and what he's showing you is that this 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 place is is laid out the same way that the tabernacle was in the old testament three on, on each of the four sides making of course 12 verse 14 and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb 
And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. Now, this, this city that John saw, that had the glory and, and, and light of God in it, it also, he says in verse 12, has a, a, a wall around it that is, he says, great and high. And if you want to know how great and high it is, look at verse 17. In, in verse 17 it says, and, and he, that's, that's the angel that's been talking with John and showing him around, and it's verse 15 talked about, he's been measuring the, the city and the gates and the walls. He says, he measured the wall thereof that's around the city, and hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. Okay, now let's, let's just talk about this for a sec. Okay, uh, what a cubit is, it's a, it's a, a length of measurement that begins at the, the joint of the elbow and goes to the tip of the, the middle finger of a man's arm, okay? And just to let you know how God thinks, he just kind of throws this thing out there. It's the measure of a man, but he says, the angel. And what you begin to learn there is that when you see angels show up, they're not pudgy little short people with blonde hair and, you know, harps and that little look. When you see angels show up in the Bible, they show up and they look an awful lot like a, like a man. And if you understand that, you'll understand how it is that sometimes you entertain angels unawares, not in their underwears, unawares. <laughs> And you begin to understand some of those passages in, in the Old Testament where there's some men that are angels that show up and, and God's just laying something down. But, but if you do the math on, on this thing with the cubits, and again, now there's some controversy about how, actually, how long, you know, long is the thing. But, but this wall that he's seeing here is anywhere from 264 to 300 feet high. I mean, this is, this is a a wall that is about as, as high as a, a football field if you set that thing uh, up on end, okay? But now, here, here's this wall, okay, a big deal. Now, why, why did God go into telling you about this great and high wall in there? Okay, and if this thing is, a, is supposed to be a replica of us, then what's up with the walls, Okay. Walls in the Bible speak of separation, okay? A, a, a great defining place for that is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. Okay, what it does is it talks about the middle, listen, wall of partition that separated us from God, okay? And that's the negative aspect of wall. But it, it, at one point, because of our sin... That sin was a wall that separated us from God. We were on this side, and he was on, on that side. But walls in the Bible speak of separation. Okay, now, now get this in your mind. The place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us has built around it great and high walls, and what it does is it pictures for us the separation that God intends for us to keep from the world as we prepare ourselves for Him. He's prepared a city here, the bride, the Lamb's wife. It has great and high walls that separate it from everything else. And God is saying, listen, as you prepare yourself for Me, bride, as you prepare yourself for the wedding, make sure in your life that you've got great and high walls of separation that you've built around yourself. Listen, not to isolate you from the world, but to insulate you from the world. That's what Jesus was praying about in John chapter 17. In verse 15, He said, Oh, listen, Father, I'm not praying that You would take them out of the world because, you know why? You know why He still wants us in the world? Because there's still a world of people that He's wanting us to reach. And so He says, Listen, I'm not praying that You'll take them out. I'm just praying that you'll keep that world from getting in them. Keep them separated from that, that world system over which Satan is 
the head. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, God says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Listen, guys, as we are awaiting our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming for us, what He has called us to do, and called us to be, He's called us to be separate from the world. He doesn't want us to be of it. He wants us to be in it, and yet it not to be in us. And, and notice in verse 12, the names of the twelve tribes are in the gates. Okay, And in verse 14, the names of the twelve apostles are in the foundation of the walls. Okay, now think with me. Okay, are you, are, you, are you working with me? If this is a replica of the church that he's describing for us, what's he talking about here? And it is rather interesting, isn't it, that gates speak of entrance or access. If, if there is something that is walled, and you've got that great and high wall around it, how are you going to get into it if there are no gates? around it okay so here are these these gates and he says that these gates have the names of the 12 tribes on them jesus comes along in john chapter 4 and verse 22 and he says something really monumental he says that salvation is of the of the jews paul reiterates the same thing in romans chapter 9 and verse Verse 5, he says that Christ, as far as the flesh is concerned, came as a he came as a Jew. And so here it is. Our salvation, the basis of our faith, is something that we received from the Jews. And the names, he says, of the twelve apostles are in the foundation. Now, can you already connect these dots? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 that though the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of the church, the church is built upon the what? The foundation of who? Whom? The apostles. The apostles, which is probably the, the reason that in the book of Revelation the church is referred to as the the what? 24 elders, perhaps the twelve names of the tribes of Israel, our entrance in and the foundation built upon the twelve apostles. But notice something else about these, these gates. Drop down to verse 21. He says, and, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Now, and watch this now. Every several or every individual gate... Can you imagine this? Was of one pearl. So here, imagine this, this incredible wall, and it's got 12 gates that go around it. Okay? And there's three on each side. Now, if you've got this 1,500 mile by 1,500 mile by 1,500 mile city, and it's got this wall around it, I would say that these gates are going to be fairly large in that pup, right? And what he says is that they're all made from one pearl, which is to say that is some pearl. Which is to say that some... <laughs> you guys are good, man. That is, that is one whale of an oyster, buddy. <laughs> okay, now, now, now put this thing together, okay? Gates have to do with the entrance to this city and he says that these gates are these incredible individual pearls now do you know how pearls come into existence okay here is here is this this oyster okay and a foreign substance finds entrance into it a speck of dirt, or a grain of sand, 
gets inside of that <clears throat> living organism. And what begins to happen inside that living organism is that living organism begins to build itself around that piece of dirt to make this flawless, incredibly beautiful jewel. You see, listen, you and I were strangers. We were foreigners from God and from the covenants of promise. We were a piece of dirt. We were filth. We were dirty, rotten sinners. But there came a day in our life when we were placed, listen now, in Christ. And what He did is He placed us, as we talked about earlier, within a living organism that is called the, the church. And what He wants is inside of the church for the church to take the Word of God and build itself around that little minuscule piece of dirt to make it something beautiful for His glory. A pearl. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gave a incredible little parable. And this is what he said in verse 45 and 46 again. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a, a merchant man seeking goodly, strange enough, pearls. Who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay. Now the parable is this. You know who the merchant man is? Do you know what a merchant man is? A merchant man is one who goes on a journey to, to redeem, to buy. The merchant man in the story is God in the person of Jesus Christ who left heaven on a journey to come to this planet to redeem a certain group of people that he likened unto pearls. And what he did is when he found that pearl of great price, the church, what he did is he spent everything that he had. He bought it at great price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 says that we have been bought with a, a price. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 says... That we weren't redeemed with silver and gold from our vain conversation, uh, the old way we used to live, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know how He bought us? At a great price. His blood. It cost Him everything that He had because He wanted to buy a pearl. That's us. Our entrance in was through the Lord Jesus Christ who allowed us to find entrance into Him. He placed us into His body. And what He's wanting is to make us that pearl that is just like those gates in the New Jerusalem. Listen, that's what God's trying to do in my life. That's what God is trying to do in every single one of our lives. He has called us out. He's placed us in Christ. He's put us in the organism of the church. And what He wants is He wants all of us through the ministry of the Word of God through His church to grow into something beautiful for His glory. And I'm asking you, is that where you are today? Listen, some of you that are here this morning, you know what? You're just like all of us were at one point. You're a, a piece of dirt. Very insignificant, sinful, separated from God. What God wants to do is He wants you to be placed in Christ. And what He'll do is He will transform your life to make you something beautiful, not for your glory, but for His glory. That's how we find entrance into this eternal city. And He wants, some of you that are here this morning that have never trusted Christ, He wants to bring you into His family. He wants to bring you into Himself. 
He wants to bring you into this living organism that is called the church so that He can begin to make you everything that God intended for you to be. And our hope, our desire today is as this service is being concluded, as we are, our pastor is going to be up at the front of this room. We're inviting you to come. If you understand your sinfulness and separation from a holy God, we're inviting you today to come receive Jesus Christ and let Him transform your life. And now, okay, listen, don't pack up. All of you that need to receive Christ today, please do that. Most of the people in this room, people that do know the Lord Jesus Christ, we presumably are the people that are preparing ourselves, as Revelation 19.7 says, we're the ones that are presumably making ourselves ready for the marriage to the Lamb. And do you get it? What He wants is to sit enthroned in our lives so that He gets the glory, so that we can manifest His light like a jasper stone or a diamond in the midst of this dark world. He wants us to have the walls of separation from this, this world built around us, and He wants us to be a gate so that other people can find entrance into the body, into that eternal dwelling. He wants to use all of us. I'm asking you today, is there anything that He's revealed about this new Jerusalem that is not true of you this morning? And if so, that is something that the Spirit of God this morning is saying, you need to deal with this. Because this is serious. Because it has to do with eternity. Let's bow our heads together. Those of you that need to receive Christ today, again, we're going to invite you as our service is concluded in just a moment, we're going to invite you to, to come. Our, our pastors will uh, make themselves available to you up in the front of this, this room. And we invite you to, to come and talk to one of these, the, these men and we'll take the opportunity to, to share with you how you can be placed in Christ this morning receive the forgiveness of your sin, and have the promise of spending eternal life with, with Him in this place that we've read about this morning. We invite you to come. But, oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, God is, once again, getting out the picture book and saying, okay, guys, do you get this? I'm preparing this place for you. You are preparing a place for me inside of you. Now, is there anything this morning in your life that is not mirroring in an exact replica of what He's showing you about His bride, the Lamb's wife, the New Jerusalem? Is there anything in your life that needs to be dealt with? And I want to give you just a, a, a minute right here to confess that to God and to bring that before Him and to leave that at His feet, to leave that at His cross so that we might be prepared as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we are we are simple people and and sometimes we do need pictures to to help us to comprehend what it is you're trying to say to us. And Lord, I, I pray this morning that you would help us to see what it is you called us to be in a new light. We would make confession. Repent of anything that would be hindering us from being all that you've intended for us to be as we prepare ourselves as your bride. Oh Lord, there are some people here today, I, I'm quite sure, that need to be saved. And oh, please work in their hearts. Use 
these truths from Your Word to open their eyes and may this be the day of their salvation. We're asking You even now that by Your Spirit You would reprove of sin and of righteousness and of judgment that would cause lost people to come to Christ and that would cause believers in Christ to forsake the sin which doth so easily beset us. Teach us, Lord, and help us as we await Your coming in the final hours of the last days. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.